Fort Spencer. Um, it is now, right? Uh, these folks have been a great blessing, been very faithful in uh, junior church ministry, and we're going to be sad to see them go. We appreciate all of our military families and the sacrifice they make and traveling around. And uh, Pastor Danny, I thought it'd be appropriate if you just kind of make your way back there. And I just want to have a Pastor uh, Danny, obviously a fellow airman. Uh, uh, you are airman, aren't you? No. Okay, army. What are you? Your soldier. Okay. Uh, would you mind if a... Okay. He, he needs extra prayer. He needs extra prayer if you can skip back there. But uh, I think it'd be appropriate that we just have a word of prayer over you and just want to publicly thank you. And if you see them today, make sure you give them thanks because they did a wonderful job with the kids and appreciate it very, very, very much. So Pastor Danny, would can, you just... Can I brag on candy real quick? You can. Minute, you... If I'm not mistaken, uh, there was somebody that was scheduled to do junior church this morning. Is that correct? And uh, Candy knew this would be her first Mother's Day doing junior church. And she was like, you know what? No, you need to be in service. You know, this is a Mother's Day service for you. And that just goes to show the heart that Candy has. And loving Candy and Spencer the little bit, we've personally been able to get to know them and just talking to them, having coffee with them before, and their heart for the kids. It's going to be a big loss in junior yeah. church and just their friendliness. So yeah, we, we need help in junior church, and folks like these definitely make it uh, easier. Definitely. Um, definitely. Yeah. So well, let us pray. God, we're so thankful to have Candy and Spencer and his, their family here with us uh, for this past year. And it's a blessing to be a church in the military community because we're able to love on military that are here even just for a year, transient in the schoolhouses. We're able to go ahead and allow them to serve in ministries you've called them to and allow them to use their gifts. The Lord is always sad to see them go. And so, Lord, we're thankful for the year that you've allowed us to have a partner in ministry with Spencer and Candy in the junior church and in other areas. We thank you for their heart, their service to you, their commitment to you, and their love of the brethren. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would just bless their trip out to Kentucky, that uh, the move would go smoothly, and that the job and the position he's getting into, that you'd give him the wisdom, the discernment to know how to do it well, to take everything he's learned here and apply it there, and just allow them to be a continued light and a beacon for Jesus Christ in a lost and dying world. And, Lord, we pray if they don't already have a church family out there in Kentucky that you would just give them wisdom and discernment to know where to go, where to plug in, and that they could just continue serving you in the capacity you've called them to in a like-minded Bible-believing church. So we thank you for them, and we just give them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. Uh, this time, young people can make their way out to junior church. Uh, make their way out to junior church this morning. and uh, Awesome. The rest of you, you can turn your Bibles uh, beginning this morning at Ruth chapter number 2. And uh, I asked you intentionally this morning about your moms and some of the influence that they've had on your life. And I entitled this morning's Bible study, uh, The Powerful Influence of a Godly Mom. The Powerful Influence of a Godly Mom. And uh, I know some of you, I know some of your testimonies. Uh, obviously, not all of us were blessed with a godly mom. Uh, some of us were blessed, uh, or maybe, you, uh, you, let's just say your mother experience wasn't, wasn't as positive as others, and uh, I am thankful for those who've been through that circumstance to recognize they need to do things differently and um, uh, be uh, a, a godly mom, but um, uh, the powerful influence of a godly mom. Uh, I started this morning with not only testimonies, we had a little video, and I was thinking about this idea of how, how we are influenced by one another, and how really, even as, as, as small children, we, uh, 
we, we learn how to influence people. Now, I'm going to show you a quick little video clip here. And uh, I, I, any representation, I kept thinking this was Emery James. Um, so I, 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 she's gonna, mom's going to say, you don't look like him at all. But, you know, this is when I was watching him on the phone at 2 in the morning. And I thought, oh, that kind of looks like Emery James and with Ray Ray. So here's, I'm going to move out of the way. But here's Emery James and... Uh, and uh, Do you love it? <laughs> what do you think, James? Pretty good. That's accurate. <laughs> I saw that and I thought, oh, that's influence, you know. Hey, you know, the little sister, or whatever. It is. Kabang, you know. Um, now I know none of you ever did that to your siblings, but uh, you know, you were either on the giving end or the receiving end of that, right? Um, you know, I tended to give those more than receive them. But then my dad somehow didn't like it when I did that, and I then ended up on the receiving end of something. But uh, right, Dad, I, I I would do that. But you know, uh, I want to talk today about influence, and even as a as a godly mom, you know, it impacts our children. And uh, today, I want to look at a beginning with a familiar story, actually two familiar stories. Uh, uh, beginning with the story of Ruth. Do you remember Ruth in the in the Bible in Ruth chapter number two? Uh, she's a, a lady from Moab. She was an outsider, and you know uh, the little the backstory. She married a Jewish man, but then he died, and his brother died, and his I think his dad died. They all died, and then they uh, Ruth came back to Israel with her mother-in-law Naomi, and Naomi tries to push her away. But you remember that Ruth is a is a person of great faith, and in Ruth chapter one, you know after her. Her mother-in-law says, go back to your own people, go back to Moab, and, and Ruth says, no, I'm not leaving. Verse 16 of chapter 1 said, entreat me not to leave thee or return following thee, for whither you go, I'm going to go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge, and thy people will be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, I, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord so, do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Now that's a statement, isn't it? I mean, I'm telling you what, if somebody like their mother-in-law. You like your mother-in-law? <laughs> Nick's laughing. It's, I, I, <laughs> I knew your mother-in-law, you know. That, she's a beautiful lady. Um, so, uh, But Ruth says, I'm not leaving. And she adopted and became a, a person of great faith uh, in Jehovah. And they moved back to Israel. Now they're widows, so they don't have a whole lot. And in the story, in the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth goes out into the fields to glean the leftovers during the harvest. And by God's grace, she ends up in the fields of Boaz. And Boaz, kind of the hero, the, the picture of Christ in this book, is, shows her great kindness. Which brings us to our text in Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 10. As, as Ruth is out there gleaning in the field and Boaz gives her a blessing in verse number 10 of Ruth 2. Uh, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me that all that thou hast done to thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come into a people which thou knewest not heretofore, the Lord recompense uh, thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now, Ruth wants to know 
why she's found such grace in the eyes of Boaz. Now, Boaz tells her that he's aware of the demonstration of her servanthood, her faith, and then her servanthood. Um, but as I thought about this, and I, I, in the context of motherhood, I, I kept thinking about the, the, the amazing thing, and sometimes I don't think we appreciate the, the, the whole cultural context of the scriptures, that, that, that Ruth was from Moab. She was an outsider, and yet, Boaz shows her such kindness. And then it occurred to me, who influenced Boaz? Anybody remember who Boaz's mother is? This is Bible Trivia 101 this morning. Who's, who is the mother of Boaz? Oh, I don't know. How should I know? <laughs> Rahab. You remember? Now, who's Rahab. When I hear, I heard somebody say it back there. Yeah, yeah there, nobody wants to say it in church. I can't say a harlot in church. Um, Rahab the harlot. And uh, where was Rahab from? Jericho. Yes, Lincoln strikes again. Um, I started thinking about Rahab and then Ruth and their stories. They're both Gentiles, both through it tough times. Both came to faith in Jehovah. Both left everything to live in Israel. And my, can I suggest you this morning that Boaz clearly saw some of his own mom's story in the life of Ruth. It's like, man, I this girl. I've seen this story somewhere. I think Boaz had been greatly influenced by his godly mother. Now then the question to me was, well, what was it about Rahab that was so influential? And of course, we read about her story in the book of Joshua. So I'm going to transition from the well-known story in Ruth to the well-known story in Joshua chapter number two, if you want to go there, although Allie's going to have some things up, uh, the, the scripture on the board here. But you know the story of, of Joshua and they've, the people of God have crossed into the promised land and crossed the Jordan River and they've come to the strongest city in the area, the strongest Canaanite city, Jericho. And you know the story how Joshua sends out two spies and <clears throat> they enter into the city and to, to spy out the land, notice this time instead of 12, you only had two. Kind of sounds like deacons. Um, that was funny. Um, Yes, it was. Thank you, hon. It was funny. Only needed two this time because 12 got him in trouble. And the, the king finds out that the spies in there and they're looking for the spies. And somehow, we're not told exactly, the spies find themselves in the house of Rahab the harlot. And Rahab hides them on her roof. And when the king's men come, you know the story that Rahab sends them off in, in the wrong direction. Now, I want to read, and I'm going to read a little longer than I normally do. I want to read the story... <clears throat> of uh, the background here in Joshua chapter 2. So bear with me here because I just want to give you the the backdrop here, all right? Uh, Joshua chapter 2, beginning at verse number 9. The Bible says, And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sahan and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore, 
I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since you have showed your, you kindness, uh, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father, and my mother, and my brethren, my sisters, and all they that have, and deliver our, our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward you may go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou hast let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's house household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thine house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood upon our head, if any hand be upon him. And after thou utter this our business, and if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou madest to swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and bound the scarlet line in the window. Now what a story. You know, she says, listen, I'm going to take care of you, you take care of me. And they, they make an agreement one with the other. And the spies go down the window and she gives them a plan of escape, how they can avoid uh, being found. And they apparently do that. And in a couple chapters later, in Joshua chapter number 6, and verse 22, uh, when the people come, and you all know the story where the God tells them when you go to Jericho to one day march around at once and then you know, seven days and on the seventh day do seven times, then uh, shout and blow the trumpet. You all know the story, right? And then what happened after they shouted. What happened? And the walls fell down. All right, y'all know. Right? Gone to junior church, Awana, done a good job. And in Joshua chapter 6, the, the rest of the story in verse 22, but Joshua had the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as she swear, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought her out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was there were therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. Wow. What a great story, huh? Now, real quickly, I only got about 20 minutes. Say, that'll be a miracle. Um, I want to give you three things on why in this story Rahab was a mom that had this obvious powerful influence. Let me pray real quick and then get into the word. Lord, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for the testimonies about moms. Uh, Lord, I pray as we focus on your word for a few minutes. Uh, Lord, help us all to be people of influence. Uh, God, I thank you for the, the moms that are here and those maybe watching or listening online, especially those who are committed to their faith, that are moms with godly influence. Lord, I pray your blessing and protection upon them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Three reasons why I find that she was became a person of such influence. Number one, uh, Rahab, she understood urgency. Number one, she understood urgency. The spies told Rahab that when Israel showed up and took the city, only those that were in her house would live. Everyone else 
was going to die. Now, I want you to think about that. That is pretty harsh, isn't it? Every man, every woman, every child, everybody was going to die unless you were in the house of Rahab. Now, understand this is war and understand that war isn't pretty. A lot of times today, we watch TV and all that, but I can tell you somebody's had the privilege of working with many military personnel, especially those who've done uh, combat duty, that that, uh, war is awful and it is not near the glorification that we find on the movie screen. And all the guys who've been there know better than I. I'm just telling you what they've shared with me. It's ugly. Now, understand, because sometimes, you know, in our, like in our apologetics ministry, this is, a, this is one of those stories that the, the critics of God that, don't, that want to bring accusation to God and say, well, God is this awful, you know, entity, and he called for these people, these innocent people to be killed, you know. Uh, well, war is not a, not a clean thing. And before you go making too many judgments on God, which the critics of our faith will do, let me, let me point out in the story that when the spies talk to Rahab, Rahab offers to them and tells them, we knew when y'all left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. Now, if you know your Bible story, you know that was some 40 plus years earlier. So these people had a witness of who God was and the power that he had for over 40 years. She goes on to tell them how they were aware, even in recent events, how that God had delivered them from these kings, uh, the Amorite kings that should have been able to destroy this, this people that were a bunch of slaves, basically, and yet God delivered them. So they had 40 years to consider God. And when the people showed up, instead of doing maybe what others uh, tried to do and did do, these guys, when they heard the spies were there, they were looking for the spies. Now, if they had found the spies, what do you think would have happened to the spies? They'd be dead. Lincoln strikes again. They'd be dead. I'm thankful that Lincoln's here. None of y'all know nothing else. Talk about the influence of a godly mother. Yours is sitting right next to you there. You know, good mom. Um, And and I got to tell you, do you think they would have died a a nice, simple death? (laughs) Probably not. If you know anything about the Canaanite people, they could be very, very barbaric. These people had rejected God and it's interesting when you read about Rahab who by the way is mentioned in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 30 of Hebrews 11 by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they compassed about seven days by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not the New Testament writer makes it clear that these people, God gave them in grace and opportunity and they chose to reject God and suffered the consequences. Now understand that Rahab knew when she met with these spies based on her faith that judgment was coming. She knew death was coming and she now just had days to gather anyone she desired to be saved to get them into her house. The house with the scarlet cord. What a picture of the work of Jesus. Just like the Passover lamb put the blood on the doorposts. Picturing the blood that would be shed on the cross of Calvary to wash away our sins. But what a mom of influence. This is a mom that understood Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Uh, An influential mom understands that judgment is coming. Do you believe that today? 
You know, the Bible's been talking about this for a little while. For example, in Romans chapter number 1, um, the same idea, because people say, well, you know, people don't know, and God shouldn't do this and that. You know, well, Romans chapter 1 says, for the wrath of God's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. They know, but they hold it in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and godhood, so they are without excuse. Just like the people of Jericho, they knew that God existed, they had seen a demonstration of his power, and they chose to reject it, and Rahab knew that one day payday was coming, and it wasn't very far away. Ooh, ooh, you realize the world in its generic sense, Jesus was pretty clear how it felt about him and I don't know about you, but it's okay to, you can't say anything bad about Muhammad, you can't say anything bad about Buddha, you can't say anything about these lousy, evil, wicked musicians of our day or actors of our day, but boy, you can say whatever you want about Jesus Christ. He's a swear word. Jesus said it this way in John 15, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You see, when I, you think about the story of Rahab and you put it in her context, if you were a, a citizen of Jericho, who had heard about Jehovah and said, you know, I, I, no, I'm good. I, I think he just, you know, no, I reject him. I'm going to stick with my, uh, the, the main god of Jericho was Ashtaroth. Um, I'm going to stick with Ashtaroth over here and blah, blah, blah. Um, judgment was still going to come and they knew. And Rahab knew. And I got to believe that when they considered Rahab, think they might have thought she was a traitor? Would you call Rahab a traitor? I think from a Canaanite perspective. Yeah. yeah. You know, sold us out. Now, I, I'm not going to get into the, you know, you know we, we in apologetics like to discuss all the ramifications of this, but let, let, let me just cut to the, the chase here. Ultimately, in the larger generic sense, on a national scale, Jericho had chosen sides and they had rejected Jehovah. Rahab recognized there was no middle ground. You know, it'd be good today if the church in America would get over itself and realize you can't make the world happy and serve God. Is double-mindedness that is in the church today, in the American church in particular, where we just do, we don't want to offend anybody. We can't stand up and, you know, these people are afraid, oh, this is going to offend them. You know, it is time to recognize, my dear friend, that, that as you look around the global, on a global scale, um, if you know anything about the story of the Word of God and what God says is coming ahead, you know, the, the, the world system that is forming up, if you don't see that happening, and then if you know your Bible at all, you know, you know that the, the Jesus is going to return, catch us in the cloud. There's some bad days coming. Can I tell you on the authority of the Word of God that judgment is coming. It's coming. And if you read the book of Revelation, a lot of people and quote-unquote innocent people are going to die. No middle ground. You know, today, every single human being that you meet, 
when it comes to their standing before God, there is no middle ground. You are either in the house of Rahab the harlot, the house of faith, or you are not. That's it. I know it's not popular preaching today and say, well, I mean well, you can mean well all you want, but unless you've come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the scarlet cord of the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away your sin and you've been declared righteous, my dear friends, you are not in the house. And when the judgment comes, you're going to die. Now, in, I've always wondered, why did God, when they went and took down the walls of Jericho, this whole story about walking around it once a day, you know, and then for seven days, you all know the story. But come at it from Rahab's perspective. What do you think Rahab was doing those seven days? Every day the, 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 the army of Israel would show up and march around the, the city. And I'm sure the scoffers on the walls of Jericho, look at those people. They're walking around. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to walk around. What the hell? That's really scary. Look at those people. They're a bunch of slaves. They don't know how to fight. What are they going to look at the walls we got here? What do you think Rahab was doing? I think she was going around to everybody that she ever cared about. And she was begging them and pleading with them, come into the house. Come into the house. The only safe place in this entire city is in my house. Yeah, come out. What do I have to tell you to come out? And you know, I, I'm sure one day we meet Rahab, we can ask her, but my guess would be there were some people that she loved in her life that she told them the judgment was coming and, and they said, listen, they've walked around one day, two days, nothing's happening. You say all this judgment's coming, they're just walking around. They're going to get tired one day and they're going to go walk around some other city. And they're dead. Today is a day of urgency. There is judgment that's coming on a wicked world. And a powerful mom of influence understands the urgency of the moment. And one of the greatest privileges of a mom is being able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your kids. I was thinking about that, and I'm curious. Anybody here that's here this morning that your testimony is that was your mom that led you to faith in Christ in the, in the quote-unquote, the sinner's prayers? Anybody in here this morning? Cody? Oh, I see hands up going all over the place. It wasn't you, 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 your mom? Okay, yeah. Lincoln? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holly? I saw a lot of hands go up in here. What a, what a privilege that is. There's got to be some urgency because, as I mentioned, we see the clouds gathering. Uh, you know, it, the church ought to be the watchman on the wall. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear in John chapter 3, for God sent his son, not his son in the world, to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him, believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at how Paul writes now. This is going to be pretty direct in Second Thessalonians, which is dealing with the end times and when the second coming of Christ. But uh, the principle, I think, applies here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. This is what Paul writes. And, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. In other words, you're, you're getting, as Christians, you're getting beat on and all these things, bad things happen. And notice what he says. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, you ain't going to hear them verses a whole lot, are you? 
You're not going to hear it on a lot of the channels you go on the TV and you know, you know, well, Jesus just cares. He just, God's just here to make your life happy and just make sure that everything in your world is okay. No, no, no. The message that we need to have today and the message of the godly mother is a message of urgency that death is, can, can happen any, any day. You leave here this afternoon. You may not be here by tomorrow morning. I do not know. I just know that death is certain in every single one of us and we know that judgment is coming. It's time to get in the house. I'm so thankful Jesus went on to say in John chapter 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen? You know, I thought about when those walls came down. We sing the song, you know, when I was a kid, you know, in my mind I always had this idea that, you know, um, the, the, the people marched around and then they shouted, you know, the trumpet, they sounded the shofars and all of a sudden, you know, God did his thing and all the walls went out, which is what I think happened. But I don't know if it was just one wall that they're all able to go in or if it was all the walls, but, you know, always in my mindset, all the walls fell down. But nay, nay. Remember where Rahab's house was? On the wall. So in your mind, if all the walls go down, they may have all gone down except one section of the wall. I thought to myself, that part, the thing on the wall became like a tower. You know, it's on the wall and all the other walls are down. And I'm thinking, all the people in the house. Now, the, you know, I don't know how the spies even got in there. I, I, I don't know how it worked, but one thing I do know is that, that uh, there was a cord there, Right? So in my mind, I see all the walls fall down and everybody that was gathered in the house all go skimming out the wall. You know, once the spy shows, hey, y'all come down and everything, coast is clear. Godly moms have a sense of urgency. Secondly, this morning, not only does she understand urgency, she understood obedience. You know, she, the spies tell her exactly what she must do after first getting the family to accept and receive this invitation, get in the house. I think getting in the house is a picture of salvation, but then we find that, that immediately she accepts uh, obedience. They say, all right, get in the house. That's where you're going to be saved. And then this is what you need to do. You know, put this, put this, uh, uh, put this, the scarlet cord out. Matter of fact, in verse number 18 of chapter two, it tells them, you know, put it out when we come back. Remember the spies left and were running around a few days and then I don't know how many days they came back and started marching around the city said, when we come back to take the city, you're, that's your sign to put the scarlet, you know, the, the cord out there. But in Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 21, you'll notice that when they get done making their agreement and she sends them away in verse number 21, it says, and they departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. In other words, they said, hey, you don't have to worry about this until, until we come back. But you know, the moment they left that house, what's the first thing she does? She puts the cord out. Never, never can be obedient too early, can you? I don't blame her one bit. She said, this is what I got to do, you know, and I'm not waiting until y'all come back. You know, uh, maybe, she, maybe the spies are worried she'd get, draw attention to herself. I don't know, but all I know is the Bible's clear. When they told her what to do, she not only did it, but she did it right early. You know, powerful moms are women of obedience. You know, sometimes as moms, you know, we, all, we spend our whole day making the kids be obedient. We love you all for that. But if you're going to be a powerful influence, your kids got to understand that mom is acting in obedience to God. You know, I'm blessed to have a mom that lived out her faith. Very blessed. Love you, mom. My mom was not a hypocrite. 
I, I didn't go to church and think, oh, you know, the preacher up saying all this kind of stuff. And I know that my, you know, I go home and my mom's full of profanity and cuss words and screaming at people. No, that wasn't my mom. Obedience. You know, moms spend a lot of time telling everybody what to do. The kids, their husbands. Because men need to be told what to do, right, ladies? Okay, I'll, I'll, I mean that, you know. It reminds me of uh, a thing I saw in the news. Did you all see that there's that new store opening up in Birmingham up there? There's always a new store opening up in Birmingham. Now I got the ladies' attention. Really? A new store? Where? Where? It's called the husband's store. Yeah. You pay, you pay this fee and you walk in the lobby there and there's a bunch of rules. This is, you know, you go to the store and you can pick out a husband. And I know some of you ladies there are going, man, can I trade mine in? There might, be, there might be a place for that. This exchanges, you know, you go to the exchanges. I get rid of this one and I'll pick up another one. But this, this store is six stories tall and you come in and you pay a fee and they say you can choose any item on any floor or if you don't like that floor, you can hit the button and go up to the next floor. But once you go up a floor, you can't come back down except to leave the building. So basically you get, you get to pick your floor and that's it. And so this woman who was looking for her husband goes to this store and comes to the floor number one and on the, on the sign before you enter into floor number one, it says, the men on this floor all have jobs. Ladies are looking for a man with a job, right ladies? Okay, no, there, no. If he doesn't have a job, he's going to stay home. <laughs> you don't want that, I can tell you that. So the lady says, okay, men have jobs. Eh, I can do better than that. So she hits the button, goes up to number, floor number two, and then the screen opens up and it says, these men on this floor all have jobs and they love kids. That's pretty cool, right, ladies? The husband with a job and loves kids. And the lady said, man, I might have to get me a husband from here. And then she thought about it and said, you know, there's six floors. I bet, I bet I can do better. Hit the button. Goes up to the third floor. The third floor says, all the men on this floor have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Jenny, that's where you got off, right there. Yeah. <laughs> extremely good looking. That's what got you. Jenny's on floor three. Um, Actually, I, I think you might have found me on fourth floor because of my mother. The powerful influence of my mother is going to be very relevant when I get to the fourth floor here. Um, the, the lady goes, man, extremely good looking. That sounds good. But man, I'm only on floor three. I gotta go, I'm going to go up to floor four. So she hits the button, goes up to floor four, and the sign comes out and says, these men have jobs, love kids, are good looking, and help with the housework. That's what my mom taught me, Right? I call myself, I'm a domesticated. You say, oh, that's beneath me. Well, you're a stupid man. Why should your wife have to do all the dishes? You made them messy, not her. So get over yourself. Now, that being said, listen to your wife, all right? I will help with anything in the house. She knows that. And my favorite thing to help with is still the laundry machines because today's laundry machines have all these lights and buttons. You know, I always want to say, what if it does this? So she will not let me touch the laundry equipment. So if you don't want to do laundry, that's your ticket out of it. But other stuff I do. But anyway, she's on this floor, and, and they will help with the housework. And the lady goes, oh, man, this is great. I can't understand it. I'm on fourth floor. These men are great. Maybe I need to get off here. And then she, she's about to go and things and thought, man, I, I, I got to, uh, let's go to the fifth floor. So she goes to the fifth floor, and the light comes on. and says, well, on this floor, all these men have jobs, love kids, are drop-dead gorgeous, help with the housework, and they are strongly romantic. Okay, that, that went nowhere. I thought that would go somewhere. <laughs> if you've been married more than two years, probably the romance is 
back two years earlier. But these men are consistently romantic. She's like, this is the best thing ever. She goes, man, I don't know how I can get any better, but I got to find out. So she hits the button, goes up to floor number six. Sign opens up and it says this. It says, you are visitor 71,456,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. (laughs) So you can try and train us women with obedience, but I don't think we do it very good. But I think a mom of powerful influence is into obedience. Last this morning, I'm going to be done. She also understood discipleship. You know, as Jericho is destroyed, we're told that Joshua takes all of Rahab's house and if you remember in our story, they take them and they move them outside of the camp. And throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, it's, I think it's like six out of nine times that Rahab is mentioned, she's called Rahab the harlot. And I kept thinking, isn't that kind of unfair? I don't know. I, I kind of think it's God's way of reminding all of us of the message of grace. That Rahab is a person that demonstrates a changed life. She'd been saved and then she committed to be obedient and now Rahab wants to become a follower of Jehovah and an Israelite. She wants to leave her old Canaanite wicked ways behind her and yet she never wants to forget what God saved her from. I'll tell you, I've never met a Christian who gets away from God except that they forget what God saved them from. And even if you're a person like me that never got off into, you know, quote-unquote, all this wickedness, recognizing that God saved me from my self-righteousness and recognizing the grace of God in my life, never, ever forget it. I don't know. I got to believe that Rahab had some guilt issues. Maybe she had some family issues. Maybe that's what led her into the industry she was in. I thought to myself, if she was a harlot, she probably had abortions. Maybe she had forced miscarriages. She'd done probably some awful things. But you know what? When she came to faith in Jehovah and they saved, God saved her and she starts outside of the camp, but Rahab committed to do everything required to move from outside the camp to inside the camp. Now, her life changed day to day and I don't know what was required if you read Judaism and to become a proselyte and go through all the, the procedures to become part of the nation of Israel. She did all those things. And she had a powerful influence. You know, sometimes Satan beats us down from our past mistakes and keeps Christians outside of the camp. I can tell you one of the biggest things, people get saved and they say, oh, I, wanna, I have a desire to be obedient to change things around in my life. But I'm telling you, you'll never experience dramatic change if you stay outside of the camp of fellowship. I'm just telling you. Oh, you know, how do you know? Well, I'm almost 60 years old and I grew up in the church and I've been in ministry. I'm telling you, if you want to become the person that God wants you to become, it means attaching yourself to a local fellowship and not living your spiritual life outside the camp, but doing what is necessary in the changing of your life and the patterns of your behavior and the structure of your priorities to live your life from the inside of the camp. And today the camp is the local church. Now we know that Rahab was radically changed and became a citizen because we know the story goes on. She met a Jewish man named Salma and they married and her and Salma had a little boy named Boaz. 
And I believe this is how Boaz, and when he looked at Ruth and he saw what she'd gone through, I think the first thing he thought of is, this girl is just like my mom. Just like my mom. You know, Boaz ends up, you know the story, marries Ruth. And Ruth and Boaz have a little boy named Obed. Obed grows up, gets married. He has a little boy named Jesse. This would be Rahab's great-grandson. Jesse grows up and has a little boy named David. Rahab's great-great-grandson. And David becomes the king of Israel. And you all, if you know your Bible well, know that through the line of David, the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come. Do you see the generational power of the influence of one godly woman? Urgency, obedience, and discipleship. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Thank you for the testimony of Ruth and also of Rahab. Lord, I pray for all of us who are here today that we would know our standing with you, that there is no middle ground. Um, My dear friend, if you're listening to me this morning and you don't know if you were to die this very moment and death is certain, it is going to come. Would you go to heaven or would you go to an eternal separation from God in a place called hell? Which is it? Are you in the faith or not? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you trust him today? Just a simple prayer of faith. There's not a magic prayer, but a recognition that you're living in the Canaanite city as a sinner. You've sinned. And you recognize that Jesus came and died for you and rose again that he could offer you legitimately eternal life because he paved the way. He paid for it. And all you and I must do is simply by faith receive that free gift. Holy Spirit of God, I pray for all of our moms here today. What a tremendously difficult job in today's world. Lord, I pray you encourage the moms. Uh, Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their sense of urgency and, and obedience and their sense of discipleship. Lord, help us to be changed into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? Brother Joe's going to lead us in a verse of invitation this morning.